Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our Sunday service online. I'm Lena Holiday, the lead pastor for Open Church in Dola. We normally meet at the Wendell Theater in Town Center, um, but due to the corona situation, we have been meeting online for a number of weeks now, and we'll continue to do so for the foreseeable future at the moment. Um, we are so glad that you could join us today, and we just wanted to give you a sneak preview into what happens during the week while we prepare for this Sunday um, service. So it's actually Tuesday today, and on a Tuesday we have our praise team who meet together and who um, prepare, practice, and record together in their songs. And then on a Thursday we have the preacher, we record him, and that gives enough time for our tech team and our graphics guys to prepare what they need to do to have a presentation ready for you on a Sunday. So we're so glad that you could join us in your homes wherever you are today. We pray for the Holy Spirit's presence to be in your homes, to encourage, to strengthen, and to uplift your hearts this morning. We just want to remind you, as you watch with us, remember to like us and to subscribe to us. Um, that will, we'll appreciate that. And we just welcome you now to join us as we worship and praise the Lord together.
Hi, everyone, and welcome to church this morning. We are in the middle of a series on the letter to the Philippian church, and today we're looking at Philippians chapter 1. You were, as a church, given homework on our WhatsApp group to read uh, the letter to the Philippians this week. I hope you've had an opportunity to do so. If you haven't done yet, I would encourage you to do it. It's only four chapters, only 104 verses. It won't take you long, and it'll give you a better understanding as we go through this letter over the next weeks. Um, help you to understand and to glean as much as you can from this amazing letter. I love this letter. And uh, when I was at boarding school, grade 7 and grade 8, I was at a Christian boarding school. And the first thing we did in the morning when we got to class was to stand by our desk and recite five memory verses. Um, and every week we'd have another five. And by the Friday before we knocked off for the weekend, we had to recite the scripture um, to our teacher so as a result, over those two years, I learned a lot of memory verses, and we were given a voluntary uh, challenge if we wanted to do 100 um, um, verses in one go, then we could do that, and there was a prize that we could win. So one of the letters that I did was Philippians. I memorized this whole book, and guys, there's so much good stuff in there. I find that that book is the one that I highlight a lot and underline, and there's all sorts going on in there. And I would encourage you when you look at it, it's one of the most encouraging books to read. And one of the things I did was go through once and underline, highlight how many times joy or rejoicing is mentioned. I find it 14 times in my Bible. And a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the key to joy is putting Jesus first. I find it very fascinating when you look in this letter, the name of Jesus Christ. Paul refers to Jesus around 50 times in this short little letter. So to me, that just gives me an indication of how much Jesus filled Paul's heart and his life and how as a result, there was this overflow of joy in his heart. Sylvester was mentioning last week that Paul was actually in prison it was called house arrest. He was awaiting trial in Rome. And he was probably chained to one of the Roman soldiers. So he wasn't allowed to go anywhere, but people could come and visit him. And so he had Timothy staying with him, taking care of him, bringing him food. It's not like prison nowadays where they take care and give you food. If family and friends didn't take care of you, you starved and you froze. So this is also one of the reasons why the letter was written to, Paul wrote this letter to uh, the Philippians, was to thank them for sending Epaphroditus all the way from their um, city with a financial gift for Paul to help him in his time of imprisonment. So Paul was awaiting trial, and he didn't know at that time, we can read as you look into this chapter, he didn't know what the outcome would be whether it would lead to death. Can you imagine having such a situation hanging over your head? You're in prison. You're awaiting trial. You don't know if you're going to live or die. It would be very easy for Paul to give in to anger and to fear and despair. And yet he chose to use this opportunity to be strategic. And as a result, by writing this letter 
2,000 years later, here we are, thousands, millions of Christians have been reading and been encouraged by this same letter. What an amazing way to make the most of every opportunity. And Paul said something in chapter 4. He said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Imagine if we could aspire to this, to come to a place where we're content in every and every situation. And whatever prison that you might find yourself in today, it might not be a physical prison, but it might be the situation with corona, being stuck at home, being bored, not being able to do much that can feel like a prison. Or you can have sickness or financial challenges, maybe relationship issues, or many other challenges that feel like a prison for you today. But God can give you the strength, the joy, and the courage you need to overcome and to make the most of the very situation, the very prison that you find yourself in right now. Well, when we look at this chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul says about the church that he holds them in his heart. You can tell that he really loves this um, church and the people in this church. He knew them uh, as individuals and people by name. And he says in verse 3 and 4, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Wow. Imagine if every time someone thought of you, they thanked God for you and they prayed for you with joy in their hearts. They must have been a super cool church, you'd think. But if we take a closer look at the members that were in this church, we find that they're just normal people like you and me with everyday problems just like you and me. And Sylvester was sharing last week again from Acts chapter 16, which really gives us the background of how the church in Philippi was started. But I'll give you a brief recap so you can remember. Paul was on his second missionary journey. He had a vision at night where there was a man from Macedonia who came and begged him to come and help. So Paul took this as a word from God, and he decided to sail to Macedonia, together with Timothy and Silas. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony um, and a leading city in Macedonia. It was a heathen city, and people worshipped the emperor of Rome. They also worshipped Egyptian gods like Isis and many other deities. But there were very few Jews there and very few God-fearing Jews, so there was not even a synagogue in the city. As a result... Paul and his companions decided on the Sabbath to go outside the city down to the riverside and look for a place of prayer. And while they were there, they met some women and uh, began to talk to them about Jesus and the good news of salvation through him. One of those ladies who heard this message, she was, her name was Lydia, and she was in Philippi on business. She was in the fashion industry. She was a dealer in purple cloth, and she was a wealthy woman. So at this prayer meeting, she hears the gospel, she's convicted, and the Bible says that her and her entire household and companions, they gave their lives to the Lord, and on that day, they were baptized in the river. 
Can you imagine? This was a good missionary journey and it was going really well. As a result, Lydia invites Paul and his companions to come and live in her home while they're ministering in Philippi. So things are going good for them. And um, I'm sure they were praising and thanking God for this breakthrough. But a couple of days later, as they're Paul and Silas are in town, walking down the streets, sharing the good news about Jesus to whoever would listen. There was this teenage slave girl who started walking after, um, chasing after them. And she was shouting loudly, these are the servants of the Most High God. Listen to what they have to say, because they're showing you the way to be saved. It might have sounded great at first, but she kept this up for several days. And she was actually causing disruption because she was always shouting there in the background while Paul and Silas were trying to minister to people. So in the end, Paul got quite annoyed. And he turned around and he cast that demon out of her. And then she got saved and delivered in the name of Jesus. And you'd think that would bring great rejoicing. But instead, those men who owned her who made a lot of money out of her because she had, through that spirit, the demon spirit that was living in her, she was able to uh, tell fortunes. When they realized that that demon had left her and they could no longer make money on her, they were very angry. And they incited the crowds against Paul and Silas. And as a result, um, the crowds grabbed them. And the Bible says that Paul and Silas were severely beaten and thrown in prison. So that was a very different outcome from a few days ago. I I can imagine Paul and Silas in the dungeon. They've been severely beaten. They're in the dark and in chains. They're probably cold and hungry and hurting and probably thinking of the nice soft beds in Lydia's house. But what do they decide to do? Instead of feeling sorry for themselves, they start praising God. They start worshiping Jesus. And I think God was was so super excited up there in heaven when you heard the praises rising up. That an earthquake shook the whole prison and the chains fell off and the doors opened and the prisoners were able to go out free. When the jailer saw this, he was terrified because he knew he was going to lose his life if Paul and Silas went away. So Paul stopped him quickly. And used this opportunity to once again, he made the most of every opportunity. And here he shared the gospel message with the jailer and his whole family. And the Bible says that the whole household were saved and baptized. After this situation, Paul and Silas had caused so much uproar in the city that the following day they were escorted out of the city. Now, when you look at these people who've been saved so far, we've got a wealthy fashionista. We've got a teenage slave girl, and we've got a working-class European man who tortured people. Not a great church to start up with, and possibly not your ideal church planting team. But this was what God did. These people would never have crossed paths if it was not for Jesus. But Jesus shows up, and he brings them together, and he calls them a family. If we look later in chapter 4 of this same letter, there's two ladies by the name of Syntyche and Iodia who are in disagreement. And Paul is saying, please, guys, get along together. The more I look at the members in this church, I think the more it looks like our church. Just a bunch of misfits from all different walks of life who come together because we have one thing in common, that we love 
Jesus. Same with this Philippian church. They had nothing in common, either socially, economically, or culturally. In open church as well, the reason that we're a family today is because of Jesus. We also have different backgrounds and races and histories. And here we are together as one people because of his great love for us. And I think this is so beautiful, that Jesus has no favorites. He is chasing and pursuing everyone because God's love is that fierce. It doesn't matter how old or young you are, how clever you are, how fat or skinny or short, God loves everyone and his arms are wide open to receive anyone who wants to receive him in their life. So anyone and everyone can be a part of his big, beautiful family. However, with such a family of misfits, you can sometimes wonder, how will it all work out? And you could think the same thing about the Philippian church. But when we look in verse 6, there's a beautiful scripture there where Paul says, I am convinced and confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, the time of his return. So Paul had a great conviction and confidence in his heart that because the work started in their lives was started by Jesus, Jesus was also able to complete it. We need to remember who started the good work. We didn't do it. It was by grace that we were saved. And it was the work of Jesus in our life. It's nothing that we earned. It is by grace. We're saved because of the work of Jesus. He's the one who began it. And he is the one who will complete it. I'm sure at times we look at ourselves and our lives. We look how far we have to go. All the mistakes and shortcomings we have. And we think we'll never make it. But be encouraged this morning. What Jesus began in your life he is able to bring to perfection and completion. Not only did Jesus start this work in your life, but he started it in us as a family and even in the Philippian church. And Paul was speaking to them in plural as a church. It involves each one of us, but it involves each one of you, but also all of us together. Jesus didn't come and... um, go to such great lengths to bring um, these people together and to bring us together so we could walk this journey on our own. God's called us to be family together. And God's faithfulness is in all of our stories. And we are in this together so that we can also encourage one another and spur one another on in this race that we've been called to run. So God has begun the good work in open church in you, and in us, and he is going to complete it. He has a calling upon us as a church, and we are going to accomplish it by his grace and with his favor and because of his faithfulness. Hallelujah. Now, when we look on further into this uh, chapter 1, Paul um, talks about a situation which has a lot to do with motivation of our heart. And Um, it's actually the motivation in ministry that is found in different people. And the question, why do we do what we do? If we look at um, 
verses 15 to 17 of Philippians chapter 1. It says, It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. But the others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I'm here defending the message and wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition, and so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. But what does it matter? The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. It's amazing here. Paul will not let anything get him down. Now, you can think, I'm sure all of us have been in that place where we've seen people who... Um, call themselves ministers of God and church leaders, but we can question sometimes the motives or the ambition that's behind what they do because they don't seem to live what they preach and their conduct and their lifestyle doesn't glorify God. And it upsets us because you get this righteous indignation and this isn't fair and this isn't right. And it's not that Paul was saying their motivation didn't matter. He just decided there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm not going to let it annoy me. I'm just going to rejoice and thank God that Christ is being preached. It reminds me of a um, well-known quote by St. Francis of Assisi where he says, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I think many times we spend a lot of energy on being annoyed and angry about the things we can't change. But here he's saying, give me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. But give me the courage to change the things I can. Let's rise up when we can and make a difference for Jesus. And then we need the wisdom to know the difference between the two. So Paul goes on in his letter, and you will hear more about that in chapter 2, about the attitude and the right motivation that we should, we should have when serving God and living as Christians. And as usual, Jesus is the best example for us to follow. Our motivation is very important, and true spirituality is allowing Holy Spirit to challenge the motives behind what we do. Do we do what we do to be seen by others? Is it because we crave position or recognition? Are we trying to seek other people's approval or God's approval? Just want to let you know, by the way, that you have his approval and he loves you just the way you are, even without making any effort or doing anything for it. God loves you. Do we do things out of selfish ambition? There could be so many wrong or impure motives that could um, lead us to do the things that we do, making our actions um, unholy. But what would be the right motive in serving God? What was it that motivated Jesus to do what he did?
Here we go. What got Jesus out of bed every day was his desire to do the will of the Father. He was totally motivated by love for his Father and his desire to please him. That's a true and a good motivation. Love for the Father. Not to... Um, to work to get his love because you've already got his love. He loves you completely. But it is a response to that love that we do what we do. It was that love and desire to please the Father that filled Jesus' being with love for the human race and his desire to heal, reconcile, and restore mankind to God's original design. Holy Spirit will always be at work seeking to keep your heart focused upon what is the highest motive in life, which is loving God with all your heart and loving others as Jesus Christ loves you. If we have that motivation in what we do, a love to please, a desire to please our Father because we love Him and a desire to love others as Jesus loved us, Then when we go to work in the morning or we go to school, it's not just to get a paycheck or to write an exam, but there's more that motivates us. We'll end up going to work, praying for our employer and co-workers, concerned about their lives and their families. And then we will have a sense that we're taking God's kingdom authority to work and believe in God for divine appointments. See, it changes the whole picture when we have the right motivation in what we do. But there are many things that can change our motivation. We can start off on a good note and things can change. Maybe we get hurt by people or offended or disappointed. Or we can have adversities and tragic events that happen. And they cause us and tempt us to compromise and not to love as extravagantly as God has called us to. But a full life comes from loving fully. So we need to live every day loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all our strength. We need to live every day doing the will of the Father to the fullest measure. We need to live every day loving others just as Jesus loved us. There's a beautiful prayer And this prayer says, Paul says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And I want to pray the same prayer over you this morning because I believe that if we grow and allow love to abound in our hearts, both in quality and quantity, we will be fruitful in our lives as Christians. So let's close our eyes and just worship the Lord together now. We thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. And Father, we come to you right now. We realize that many times our motivations and what we do are not pure and true. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to shine your light upon our hearts and create in us a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit on us, Father. 
And Lord, this is my prayer this morning for our church and for everyone watching, God. That your love may abound more and more in each one of their hearts, both in knowledge and depth of insight, in quality and in quantity. So that each one of us may be able to discern what is right and what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes to Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Holy Spirit has ministered to your hearts. Please like and subscribe us on Facebook and on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you, so do get in touch. And we look forward to meet with you this same time next week for another wonderful message. God bless you.